Before I start this episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to the Lekker Patreon supporters. Your support is crucial for the future of Lekker, and I'm so grateful. If you're interested in becoming a patron of the podcast, you can head to patreon.com forward slash Lekker Podcast. This is Lekker. I'm Lucy Dearlove. I'm so glad to be back in your podcast feed for the first episode of 2022, and I hope it's a good year for you. I'm so delighted that some new listeners discovered Lekka last year as a result of me making the series about kitchens. Um, Welcome. I'm so glad to have you with us, with me. (laughs) This year, I'm going to be releasing monthly episodes and Some of the episodes I'm going to be making this year are going to be profiles of particular people or particular dishes sometimes. Some of them are going to be a bit more like the kitchens episodes where they're kind of built around a specific theme, almost like an audio essay. I've got lots of ideas and plans and I'm so excited to be sharing them with you. I wanted to start the year doing something that I've actually never done before, um, which is kind of re-releasing a previous episode and I say kind of because being the eternal perfectionist that I am and yes I do say that is my weak point in job interviews I couldn't leave it alone so I have actually gone back into the original episode that I made back in 2017 and re-edited it and there's some bits in there that I didn't put in the original edit so it's kind of a director's cut even though I made the first one as well The reason that I've done this is because looking back over the past few years of making Lekker, I really think that actually this episode in particular, making it and kind of editing it and meeting the people involved in it, has had a huge impact on shaping the way that I now think and feel about food and the world. Um, It was a real kind of amazing experience meeting Dee and Leslie, who you are about to meet too. I wanted to share this with the new listeners that the podcast has met since 2017. And if you have heard this episode before, as I mentioned, this is a new version, but also I have something else for you. If you stick around till the end, there is actually an update from Leslie about what has happened since then so what's happened over the past five years really and it's kind of amazing I'm really excited for the future so first of all I want to take you back the year is 2017 I'm a little baby podcaster I've got my mic in hand and I've got the tube to North London and we find ourselves in a kitchen in a community centre on the South Kilburn estate Peppers, red peppers, peppers onion, cork, garlic, coconut milk, milk. Um, That's for the stew, and then we have rice, salad, and tonight, having a special treat for those who eat meat, uh, he's making a marinated pork stew. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. Um, we're making sort of Peruvian-inspired beans. Inspired. So can you tell me a bit about yourself, Leslie? Maybe you can introduce yourself. Oh, okay. Um, My name's Leslie Barson. Um, I've worked in this building for nearly 25 years. And we started this project. We've got a community centre project with working with young people. 
And uh, we started this project about nearly three years ago, because Dee is a wonderful cook, but it's more than food. It's about community through food. So it's all kinds of activities. So we have tonight, we've got film night. And so we have a meal together and then we watch film and discuss it. And then uh, we also have a Friday night meal, that, which is a community meal. It's, that's cooked by someone else. And that's become very, very popular where we also have surplus food that people can take, which are collected, or we get it delivered from a wonderful charity called City Harvest. And we also collect from Two Marks and Spencers who've been very good to us. And we've also been lucky enough to get a grant. I'm not sure we're allowed to mention Yeah. We yeah. Oh, we are. Yeah. Oh, we are. Okay. <laughs> we're allowed to mention we, Okay. Uh, Evening Dispossessed, Evening Standard Dispossessed Award for a big project, a year-long project. So it's for a garden trainer and a cooking trainer. So the idea is that people who are food insecure, and we're working with North Paddington Food Bank, will be able to come here and either bring some food that they they're a bit bored with or they don't know how to cook it because when you're given stuff, you don't always know what to do with it. Um, so it's, it's a drop-in. So it's very much about what the people who come need. And if they all say, look, we'd really like to know how to make bread or make our own pizzas or whatever, our cooking trainer, i.e. D, <laughs> will be able to help them and, you know, teach them. And she'll be, she's got at her fingertips, you know, knowledge that, that she can give so that, you know, people can just ask questions immediately and, and get the get an answer for it and also because we think gardening is very important and that the understanding the whole where food comes from is very important so it's not just about what turns up on your plate or what's on the shelves at the supermarket but how it's grown how difficult it is or how easy it is how enjoyable it is how what hard work it is why you need a community um so and it's also very therapeutic and there's a lot of people looking at gardening as a lessons isolation and it's physically demanding in a way that you know being at home isn't so mm-hmm. there's a bit of exercise it's not tremendous exercise um and so it's, it, is, it has a lot of benefits to it so we feel that that's part of the project of empowering community through food great and what's yeah. your what's your background kind of what how did you come into this have you always been interested in food well I'm interested in food because I eat it and I like it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've never been a great cook, but my friend obviously is a great cook and it's a great honor really to work with her, work alongside her. And I'm learning loads about cooking and about, you know, how to make things really taste good with on very little money. I mean, it's, it's more about spices and understanding what goes with what, but also D, which I always say what I love about D I'm a, great history buff and she's got a knowledge of food and where it comes from and how it's traveled across the world with various you know uh trades that have gone all over the world and understanding that and sometimes you know you have crazy things happening like apparently the oldest rice from west africa is now grown in east america because it was brought over by the slaves and it's it's been lost in africa it's it's growing in in what is it in yeah, uh, Georgia or yeah, Carolinas yeah, or something. Yeah. So the most authentic, you know, this these kind of crazy things that we have in the modern world, um, and how many types of rice there are, and how mm. how many varieties we're losing, and so on. And Dee's absolutely amazing and has educated me about those sorts of things. So that's it's a pleasure to work with her. Can you introduce yourself as well, please? Right. So my name is Dee Woods. I'm the Cook at Granville Community Kitchen. I'm also 
the London Slow Food Ambassador 2016 and BBC Cook of the Year 2016. Okay. How did that come about, the awards? Um... Basically from the work we've been doing here at the Granville Community Kitchen. And I think a bit of my political engagement as well, because I am involved in the slow food movement, food sovereignty movement, and with the sort of Community Food Growers Network. And we've been sort of lobbying, yeah, the GLA with an organization called Just Space, who are a network of grassroots community groups. So being sort of really involved in policy and the other direction of things, but from the ground up. So cooking up a bit of revolution, as it were. I like it. Can you tell me what, um, it sort of explain exactly what the slow food movement is and what the food sovereignty movement is as well? Okay. There are similarities and they do sort of cross over, but slow food is more about the enjoyment of food, the preservation of sort of food, diverse food cultures, um, good food for all, you know, and, you know, protecting the interests of producers and biodiversity. Um, Food sovereignty, which began in the global south, is sort of producer-led sort of movements about workers' rights, sort of agroecology, which is about sort of sustainable ways of farming and sort of catching fish and all that sort of stuff. And there's something in there about sort of consumers. I don't like the word consumers. We need to change that. We're all eaters. Mm. But, you know, the emphasis is more on farmers and, and producers and likewise sort of all the stuff around food policy from sort of international level right down to local mm. level. But they marry. <laughs> Very, it's, always we, yeah, it's all interconnected. And yeah, that's okay. All right. Just checking the size of the pepper, very important. Yeah. All right, and the other sort of aspect that we bring in here at Granville Community Kitchen would be social justice, because a lot of the issues aren't necessarily food issues. They're issues around class and opportunity and poverty and gender and all, all the other sort of isms. So that's a very important issue that we sort of work from so i mean yeah food food is that sort of for people who are into the sort of jargon you know represents that sort of intersectionality yeah and if we look at our food system you know it's like our modern food system is based on the oppression of others and the destruction of our earth so we need to change that and so you're kind of on a really small level here, trying to do that? Um, yeah, right, because I think, you know, eating is the most political act that anyone can do, right? And choices of where we buy our food and what type of food we buy is a political act. So it is about engaging people, breaking on all those jargon words and making people realise that, you know, you can hold 
our politicians and you know people in local government accountable yeah and sort of demand that well okay we want access to better food that we want better wages so that we can afford to buy better food right so, and now that I've been appointed to the London Food Board I'm hoping that's one of the areas that we could work on you know making sort of good food accessible at a more local level right and ensure that it's also culturally appropriate Yeah so it's not always about the anti-fat thing or the anti-sugar thing you know it's about creating opportunities creating sort of community food hubs that include urban agriculture small marketplaces opportunities for small food producers and you know we need to celebrate our diverse food cultures that we have here in the UK Yeah I think and London especially London is unique in the world. Yeah. I think you know right here in Brent we have what almost 400 languages spoken right so that's 400 different food cultures yes. right there. Absolutely. Right but then you see people and nothing's wrong with chips I love chips right but I'd prefer to see someone from that particular culture celebrating their own food before it's lost. So what can we do to get it back? Um I think one of the things we need to do is find sustainable ways of sourcing foods. So like we're cooking plantains. It's one of the cheapest foods you can buy at sort of supermarkets now, corner shops, right? But it can't be sustainable if you're getting 3 or 4 for about a pound. Right, how much is the farmer actually getting? Right, so yeah, no, it's things like that we need to do, but we also need to be growing a lot more things here. So we have this herb on the windowsill. Yeah, it goes by many different names. It comes from the Caribbean. Right, supposedly originated in West Africa, but it grows wild throughout the Caribbean parts of South America. and it grows perfectly well here a lot of foods and herbs can be grown here and not imported yeah which would sort of create jobs here and sort of reduce oppression on the other side and will what's it called what what um, cuban oregano in the southern caribbean it's called big leaf thyme it is in the arc of taste which is a slow food project about sort of rescuing and preserving sort of rare foods and plants and herbs so and yeah. we we use it in most of our cooking nice and you may take away oh. a plant if you need to that's what we do we we <laughs> propagate them and we give it away you sort of take cuttings from it and yeah great so Dee, can you tell me a bit about your background in food how did you learn to cook um Like Leslie, <laughs> um I love food and I love to eat, but I grew up in a family of food producers, entrepreneurs. My dad is a farmer, so always grew up with our own food and making food and sort of big family, big family occasions, we were always cooking. And 
that sort of just grew and growing up in Trinidad and Tobago, which is a multicultural society, we had all these wonderful sort of food cultures. And I just took it from there. I just kept cooking and learning more. And I'm always learning. And a lot of the food that I cook here, I try to reflect the sort of cultures around here. So we've cooked food from Tonga. We're planning a Fiji evening. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's like when you cook these things, you realize how similar your cooking techniques are and your ingredients and your flavors and, you know, it's just slight nuances. So for me, you know, food is that great uniter, you know, it brings people together. We can't really get, as Dee was saying, good food without challenging the economic system that we're in. Because we're saying by don't eating, not eating sliced bread, by making your own bread, which is actually incredibly easy and very, very cheap, and you could make your own bread every day. Dee's got fantastic recipe which you don't even need to let rise you just put it in the fridge and you take out a loaf size and put it in the oven and 40 minutes later you've got a fresh bread you know it's like ah. um you know people could learn to do that i mean it's a change of their routine but it doesn't take time as you think it takes time to change but once you've understood it and once you've changed over to that it's easy and then you know your children see you doing that your elders see you doing that it just becomes part of life oh what are you doing your bread is delicious oh my goodness hot bread you know it's fantastic it changes not by itself but <laughs> through you changing your yeah. habits you change other people it spreads yeah, like a like kind of pebble in the, in the water <laughs> the butterfly <effect>. <laughs> yes, exactly <laughs> that's exactly all right so azuki beans some garlic and onions red peppers yeah, and I think that's, that's another issue because um, a few weeks ago we had this issue where we weren't getting lettuces and peppers, courgettes, peppers as well. Um, there's an issue now with avocados. I think we need to eat sort of seasonally, as local as possible, and, you know, have sort of fair trade or beyond fair trade agreements to purchase food from other countries. With Brexit happening, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. So a lot of these foods that come from Spain, so we're already getting peppers and strawberries and lots of summer foods, yeah, we're going to have to change our eating habits. Yeah. All right? So lots, a lot more kale and cabbages and what they call the hunger gap food. It's amazing how much that, um, like how people reacted to that food shortage. I mean, it wasn't yeah. even a food shortage. It was a few things. Yeah. They were having trouble getting them. And, you know, it was like they had to put signs up in the supermarket because people were so, you know, kind of confused and by it. People are so used to being able to get exactly what they want at any time. Right. And yeah. um, we, we can't do that. And most of the world eats, you know, seasonally. Yeah, you eat what is locally available and then occasionally you'll have sort of the imported food. Mm. All right, so we need we need to change. We really do need to change. I don't I don't know when we changed away because when I was a child, I mean it is a little bit ago, but not that long ago, there was no dinosaurs on the earth. We used to eat seed. We only had, for example, um, satsumas or clementine. We had them from, you know, October-ish to December and that was it. What happened?
don't I know now I I don't like eating them in the summer. Oh, I think, well, this is the Look at the history of supermarkets. Right. Yeah, that convenience of being getting being able to get everything under one roof and at any time of the year. Yeah, happen with supermarkets. But it has happened quickly. Really, I mean, it's happened yeah, well, within 20, 30 years. It's yeah. not. We're not talking, you know, hundreds of years here. And I feel, I hope that it could have changed back again mm. as quickly. You know, and, and this idea that we can get, I mean, when you look at your grapes and you see they've come from Chile, you know, which is the other side of the world, and you've bought them for £1.25, I, I mean, the mind boggles. What do yeah. the people get there getting paid? And then sort of our sort of food fads as well impact on other cultures yes. and communities. Right. Mm-hmm. So like quinoa, right? Yeah. Local people cannot afford to make, to buy it anymore. And that was their staple food. All right, so what happens? They buy foods that their systems aren't used to and they end up with nutrition, transition, and all these lifestyle diseases yeah. because they start eating rubbish. Mm, yeah, but we can grow quinoa here. There are farmers who are growing it. They're growing it organically, sort of bigger agriculture waves, sort of with chemicals as well. But we can grow it here. So we need to grow more of it here. We don't use all our land, right? And we need to be using our land more for farming and not for putting up sort of posh housing or keeping it for for its value, yeah, as an investment. We need to use our land. So this is our small food garden so we had and that's that's the main hall in there so we had these are fig trees which might have some small figs on them um there's three of them here here and here and then this is an apple that we rescued so we've got three raised beds and then what because there's going to be building works we're using this these crate idea which means that we can move it around. We can move the, so this is um, lemon balm, um, chives, everything needs watering. This is chard and um, various, uh, oh God, name escapes me. Kale, chards and right, kale. So yeah. they're easy growing yeah. um, plants. The colors of those are amazing. Yeah. Hi love, you are right. <laughs> and then we've got um, different types of onion. Oh yeah. And this is, this is some. This is some kind of a sage, some kind of a herb. You're right. Now, what was I hoping to plant? So, what we do normally is put cardboard down, and then put compost on top. Rather than digging, okay, you feed yeah. the soil from oh, above. To stop the weeds from yeah, exactly, and to feed the soil because you don't want to dig because it's really hard work. We've got quite a few cherries that were planted oh, wow. long before. So that's a big cherry there by the wall, oh, which yeah, is the yeah. stupidest place for it. Yeah. And that's another baby cherry, which it obviously, but I don't know and why. And this is a cherry here. What, the big one? The big, oh, wow. Well, the big one behind is a plane, but this one yeah. is in here. Yeah, it's a cherry. And that's our sort of compost area and stuff like that. Oh. Yeah. We still need watering. But we've got kids coming tomorrow, so we'll water tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. love they love doing it. It's amazing. So I have to cut some leaves for Dee. She wants chard and kale. So like these two. We're going to stick them all in the stew. 
Okay, so we've got lettuce, cucumber, tomatoes, and spring onions. And usually we do, I'm not sure what we're doing tonight, but usually we just do a lemon dressing mm. and salt. And are we doing anything else in the salad? Um, probably a lime dressing. Lime, dressing because yeah. we're Peruvian. Of course. <laughs> so we're, we're a bit. Um, and then we have rice as well. And not key one because we can't afford local growth. No. So everything you buy is ethically sourced? Ethically sourced. We grow some. Um, we're trying to encourage the development of sort of more food food projects in West London. Right? You get loads in South London, East London, North London, but they're few and far between in West mm. London. And this Why is, is that? Um, I don't know. And we have a lot of land in West London, mm -hmm. especially on the autobars. So that's something we're, we're hoping to be developing more. They were traditionally industry out in the West. Right. And um, that's gradually disappearing or partially. certainly partially disappearing. Right. There is some. Um, because in Hillenden and Harrow, that's traditionally farmland. And yeah, right. Some of it is actually listed, and the buildings are listed. Yeah, yeah because they're still carved out in this sort of eighteenth century yeah. sort of farm farmland right. way. So, yes. but you know, before we become history from starvation, I think we need to be using some of that land. Yeah, but it's just too valuable to properly do that. That's the trouble, isn't it? Yeah, and. Um, Heathrow Airport, oh, of course. which is a big issue out <laughs> west, yes. Um, so there used to be lots of market gardens all around where Heathrow is. Yep. And we were just out there on the weekend and there was an older man telling me that when he was a boy, they were strawberry fields as far as the eye could see. And uh, they, you know, people would work as as labourers on the farm and mm. would be picking strawberries. So he remembers... The, the year, so, you know, sort of May, June, July-ish, picking strawberries, and then you go into salads, and then, so there was a, you know, a rotation of the year's crops feeding London, or some of London, not the whole of London, because mm. I think there were pockets like this all over London. Kent, obviously, was a bread basket, or the food here basket as well. Farmland. Yes, yeah. here was farmland up until the 1880s, which isn't that long yeah. ago you know, 120 years or so. And you can see on a map, we've got maps outside of the growth of the development of housing. And Queen's Park was actually an agricultural show. That's what saved it. So all the, you know, the cattle were brought up there and horses and things. And so, um, yeah, and you can see that marked on the map. And I'm sure that's, that's why it's stayed a park. Um, but um, out by Heathrow is much more recently was food growing. Um, and there are still, there's still farms out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've Lots taken a walk and there's... And, yeah, small sort of market gardens, but... Yeah. Mm. But very, very small. Yeah. 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 So what's this area like now? Um, the immediate area is called South Kilburn Estate. And it's been regenerated practically constantly since 1959. After the war, and even before the war, it was Victorian slums. 
Um, so, you know, people came in. This building was built to do good for the poor of Kilburn, for example, mm. by the St. John's Presbyterian Church in St. John's Wood. So there were, this was a poor area, um, and the, the pictures that you see are awful. You know, there, there was real slums. So in, in the 50s, what they decided to do, bless their hearts, was tear it all down, <laughs> for which I can never forgive them, rather than doing it up and making it into nice flats. But never mind. It's all, you know, a lot of, and a lot of the buildings you'll see are from that time, the late 50s, early 60s. And then it's constantly, because it's, um, it's had lots and lots of social problems which were not dealt with, uh, since then it's been, you know, there's a lot of, low uh, high unemployment low educational level attainment levels a lot of youth problems you know just everything that you would expect in an inner city um and now we're going through a period of intense regeneration which means that the people who live here are being moved around the the older residents the long-term residents and their houses are being torn down and Twice as many houses are being put back, and the, the, the twice as many again are all luxury flats. So you've got this crazy situation where you've got the, the old council tenants in blocks, mm-hmm. and next to them are people who've paid uh, 500000 for a one-bedroom flat and up. Yeah, there, so it's crazy. it's crazy. So you have the very needy and the very wealthy, and they don't talk to each other much, and... This building is one of the oldest, well, it's a community centre in the area, and the next door as well, the Carlton Centre, are somewhat under threat as well. I think the council realises they need some community space, but they'd like to build some housing on this site. And we're arguing that if you're putting twice as many people into a very dense, small area of of London, you need twice as much community space, I think, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because you need this to work somehow and people the people need to meet each other somewhere. So houses are now built. They used to be built. Most of the, the blocks here have, have some kind of tenant hall or community space. They're now built without those. So there's nowhere to meet anybody. There's nowhere to discuss problems. There's nowhere to have a lunch or a, a supper or a film night to get to know your neighbor so that you, when they make a lot of noise, you think, oh, it's okay because it's only Joan and she needs to shout at certain times or whatever, you know, or that's the lovely little girl, you know. Sure. You know, you need those spaces to understand each other and to develop relationships. Otherwise, you're just, those people over there, yeah, you know, I don't like them, I don't know them, they funny. They eat funny food, they wear funny clothes, whatever, you know. So we are in a constant continual struggle here um we're still here (laughs) that's the good news but we we can't uh let the guard down Uh, we're not we're not safe yeah so um we're but d and i are determined um we've got very sharp elbows (laughs) (laughs) to keep as much community exactly as much community space as possible and um to keep these centers for the for the community of south kilburn There used to be a market in South Kilburn, and we would love to see that come back. Mm. And we have a farmer's market in Queen's Park, which is very, very wealthy. I bet, yeah. And uh, a wonderful produce, but... Just inaccessible. Just inaccessible. Yeah. So yeah. we need to bring farmer's markets yeah. back to yes. the people. Yes. So what's Slow Food call earth markets. Right. So that's... 
Okay. Perhaps what we need here on yes, Earth, Earth Market. Yes. And if we get our goats. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, because there's a brilliant pro- project in Bristol called Street Goat. And Bristol is highly urbanized, just like London. And what they do, they keep goats for milk to make cheese. And with the young male goats, they use that to manage public land. And then I and then when they're a couple years old, then they sort of slaughter them and sell them for meat. Yeah, so you know that's what every community should have some sort of small community farm where they have sort of animals, bees, you know, chickens for eggs, and yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. All right, but that's how it used to be. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So yes. we need to look back and take yeah. some lessons. I, I think some people got carried away with sort of population size and thinking that we don't produce enough food to feed everyone, but we produce enough food right now to feed everyone. Seventy percent of the world's food is produced by subsistence farmers. It's not produced by massive monocropping. And this is such a dicey road to go down because one little disease and oops, that's it. The whole, you know, where is- That's happening with coffee right now. That's happening with this variety of bananas right now. Yeah, because of that monocropping. So we do need to go back to those traditional ways of sort of doing coffee and bananas within a sort of forest system and small scale and that might mean okay we don't have as much coffee here in the west yeah but we have better coffee and we're supporting farmers and the sort of countries by pay the prices that it costs that is good for us you know actually we we overeat yeah and we eat with stuff stuff done there's a brilliant book by Raj Patel, sort of stuffed and starved. Mm. Yeah, so us yeah. in West were stuffed yeah. and we're malnutritioned. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because we're not eating right types of food. Whereas in sort of global South, you know, people are eating a lot less. Some people are starving. But I think it's what, seven out of the ten best diets in the world are in Africa. All right, because, you know, it's a lot less food. It isn't all this rubbish. They eat seasonally. Yeah, a lot less meat. So, yeah. We're not islands. We can't be self-sufficient. Yeah. And I think this is another myth that um, to be ecological, you need to be able to grow and produce everything yourself. No, we need community. We need, you know, you're good at courgettes. Or I'm really good at cabbage or whatever. And we swap, you yeah. know, or the ground that I'm working on is, you know. Makes so much sense. Exactly. Yeah. So um, we need a, a different relationship to our products. Hello everyone in Lekka podcast land and thank you Lucy for asking us for an update. Um, A lot of things have changed since we did our first podcast with you. In March 20 when the virus first hit, um, the people who were cooking our community meal 
left and said they couldn't do it safely anymore. So for a couple of weeks, we cooked and handed the food out through the doors. And then we were also getting some surplus food from City Harvest. And we were handing that out. And gradually, over the what, nearly well, 18 months to 20 months, this has grown into an enormous food aid project, which we've been getting bigger and bigger and more and more important in, in Brent and Westminster and Camden. So we're right on the corner of the three boroughs. So we started off um, serving about oh, 50 to 70 households, and we're now serving about 300. At this point, we're trying to make the deliveries less because they're very difficult, very difficult to find drivers and the driving's a pain in the neck. And this is not what we do. We we see food aid as a small bandage on top of a gaping wound. And um, as we've always said, there's no such thing as food poverty. There's just poverty. Many of the people who collect from us are working. They have such high bills. They have such bad working conditions in the sense of zero hour contracts or no contracts at all. A lot of people are drivers or care workers who um, have no contracts. And what we need to tackle is um, the conditions of work and the price of food and the availability of localized food. Um, so we're hoping to gradually begin to stop the food aid work um, by the summer of 22. Um, but we have to be, do that very carefully and managed in order that people aren't badly affected by it. So feeding over 1,200 people a week is really a huge sort of military operation and something that's quite, we're quite proud that we've been able to do it and we're still doing it. But as I say, it's not where our heart lies um, except as emergency provision to to stop people going hungry. At the same time in March 20, maybe a little bit later, we were also looking into what's called the Good Food Box. And this was started in October 20. It's a veg box scheme aimed at low-income families. So there's three different prices that you, you choose where what you pay. Um, so there's go, start, and um, solidarity price. The solidarity price is a little bit higher in order that we can give um, a lower price for low-income families and we buy food direct from farmers or some of it we've actually grown in South Kilburn. We'll tell you about another project that we're starting soon in order that we can feed the good food box, I mean put food into the good food box. Because of the good food box and, and um, because of the growth of the of the organization in terms of how well it known it is, we've grown enormously. We now have six part-time staff. We've just started the community meals again. For that, we've partnered with a group called Sufra, who are also another um, food project uh, in Brent. And on Friday nights, we now have people starting to come back again to have food with us, which is really, really nice. And we're hoping to have open mic sessions then, or we had a game session, quizzes, some kind of activity that draws us together. We've also been helping with the regeneration problems, so people being moved from place to place or not wanting their building to come down and try how can they get convinced the council not to do this. We've we've helped write a community plan with two of the buildings, and at the moment we're helping write a community plan for um, the the Granville itself and about its management and how that will happen. Hopefully, with a community management board after it's had its regeneration. We also had a wonderful heritage um, 
art project where we we four unsung heroes of South Kelvin, they their portraits were um, drawn and they're put up on the hoardings. So there, there's many many hoardings, um, wooden fences <laughs> behind blocking out all the building sites of of all the work, the regeneration work that's going on in the area. So these four women are are put up on those boards as a beautiful reminder of some of the unsung heroes of South Kilburn. They're all community activists. They've spent their lives helping others and doing things and and nobody knows about them really except people that have met them and are affected by it. We've also been helping in the area with helping Brent and working on political campaigns, notably the right to food, that food should be a right, not just left to the market. And we're hoping that Brent will become a right to food um, borough and that gradually all the boroughs in London will take this on. And then we can convince um, the regional government, you know, the mayor's office and then central government that food is a right. And we've also been working with Brent on the climate emergency and growing food and having more spaces to grow food. And last but not at all least, and very, very most exciting, is we've hopefully, I think, I don't want to jinx it, <laughs> we're starting a farm, a small market garden in um, Rickmansworth. Should be starting in February-ish. So that growing, there we'll have two part-time growers working on the farm. And we hope that the food there will then feed the good food box. And the good food box, part of the um, attributes of the good food box is that it, it, it thinks about culturally appropriate food. And we have a lot of people in the South Kilburn area who are either from um, Southern Mediterranean or North African states, and they are looking for food from those cultures. And we will be able to supply food that's... Um, you know, in polytunnels, we'll be able to grow more food that's from those cultures, we hope. At the moment, we have a North European box and a African Caribbean box. So it's really, really exciting. The other aspect of the farm is going to be education so that young people, we hope, from South Kilburn or from the inner urban settings, will be able to go out in various ways on different schemes to the farm and work on the farm and see to try and change the nature of people's thought around um, growing work, which often is seen as um, peasantry, it's seen as backbreaking, repetitive, boring, or um, in many cases it's, it's, it's connected to slavery and connected to the worst, most harsh and um, injustices that the world has seen. So we need to change that narrative and show that it's a way out of the climate crisis and that it's exciting work and that it's um, good for your health and that it's creative work, which it is, um, and work with agroecological um, farming uh, practices and teachers and so on who will pass on those skills and train up a younger generation in good food jobs. So we're very, very busy, and it's really great that you're re-releasing our um, our podcast from a couple of years ago. I haven't listened to it recently, but I should do. And thank you very much for your continued interest in us, and we hope to speak together soon. Thanks very much. Bye. You can find out more about the Granville and the work that Dee and Leslie are doing with everyone involved there at granvillecommunitykitchen.org.uk. I'm so excited about the farm and the Good Food Box project that they do. Just, yeah, it's brilliant. 
And also, if you want to read more about the project, Ruby Tando wrote a piece for Vittles last year about the Granville and the community and the area, which is 100% worth reading. So you can find that online. Thanks for joining me for the first episode of Lacquer of 2022. I will be back next month with a brand new episode, not a re-edit this time, I promise. But I hope you enjoyed this little step back in time and also look to the future. If you're a fan of Lekka, here's three ways that you can support. You can tell your friends, you can tweet about us, you can post us on Instagram stories, you can do a TikTok about how much you love the podcast, at us in, at Lekka Podcast. Number two, you can leave a rating or a review for the podcast wherever you listen. Apple Podcasts lets you leave a written review or just do a star rating. Spotify also now lets you do a star rating. I'd be hugely grateful if you could rate us five stars if you've enjoyed listening. It really helps kind of bump the podcast up in their algorithms so more people discover it via recommendations and playlists and all that sort of thing. It does really help. There's a reason why every podcast asks you to do it. It really helps. Number three, as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you're in a position to offer financial support to Lekka, I would be unbelievably grateful. You can do that monthly at patreon.com slash Podcast. Uh, I'm just asking for £3 a month that will help me cover production costs and kind of plan for the future of what is coming next for Lekka. And you can also make a one-off donation via coffee. Best way to do that is go to the Lekka Podcast homepage, lekkapodcast.com and scroll down and you'll find a button to donate there if you'd rather do a one-off. No pressure to do any of those, but I would be really grateful. All right, I'll be back next month. Thanks for listening.